Hello, this is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together, we're learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. One of the greatest things about hosting a podcast is that I get to introduce you guys to some amazing leaders you may or may not have met before. Uh, One of the greatest gifts I think that God gives us is the chance to meet creative men and women who come from different theological streams, different tribes, different histories than our own. I think it stretches us. I think it helps us. It's a gift, and I love it. Uh, Today, we get to hear from a brother named Wes Dupin. Wes and I minister in the same state of Michigan. Over the years, we've bumped into each other here and there. We've, we've sat in some of the same meetings, but we only recently had a chance to really spend some time together. Uh, we were both at a conference in California, and one of the evenings we got to get away for a dinner and a long conversation. I just got to say it was awesome. I wish it would have happened a lot sooner. Wes's story is, uh, is incredible. His dad was an evangelist who traveled around the world, and he was known as the Billy Graham of small town USA. As a young man, Wes got to work with his dad and uh, do advanced planning and help lay the groundwork for these festivals where hundreds and ultimately thousands of people were, were being led to faith in Christ. For the last 30 years, Wes has been the lead pastor of Daybreak Church, a church he founded in Hudsonville, Michigan. Wes brought a passion for large-scale evangelism to his experience in local church leadership, and it's been an incredible alchemy. He's widely known as a creative communicator. I mean, very creative. I mean, the guy once uh, put an entire full-scale set of train tracks, like a, a load of gravel and, and full-size train tracks, right down the center of his worship center, and he used the Johnny Cash song, I Walk the Line, along with Johnny Cash's story of, of drug addiction and then eventually meeting Jesus Christ, to challenge people and to present the gospel. And at the end of the sermon, Wes invited those who were listening to walk the line themselves if they hadn't yet committed their lives to Christ. In that one event, more than 150 people responded and gave their life to Christ for the very first time. This is the kind of stuff that Wes does. One of the coolest things I've learned about Wes is that he's not just creative for the sake of creativity. He's not just an innovator for the sake of innovation. Wes does all of these things because his heart burns with an evangelistic fire. I mean, it burns. It's something I wish I had and I want to have. It's something I think every pastor needs, every leader needs, every Christian needs. Wes is willing to make waves if it will make a way for people to hear the gospel. All this to say, I really love this guy. I think you will too. Let's join him now. I'm sitting here with Wes Dupin. Wes, welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Well, it's great to be here, Adam. Thanks. It really is. Thanks. It's, it's a lot of fun. We had a chance to hang out a little bit before we started recording, uh, grab, a, grab a meal the other night, hear more of your story. It's been nothing but fun, and uh, I've been looking forward to having a chance to, to let other folks hear 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 you and hear your heartbeat. So, just to get started, uh, for those who might not know you or have a reference point for, for your church, uh, can you share a little bit about your ministry setting, a little bit about your story? Well, my story starts in a preacher's home, which I think uh, gives a pretty good uh, background of where I was educated, the fact that I, I saw my dad at a very young age preaching the gospel. 
Um, my dad, just a real quick uh, synopsis here, was raised in a non-Christian home in the state of Kentucky near Louisville, Kentucky. And they had an old-fashioned tent revival. We call them old-fashioned. I don't know why we say old-fashioned, but it was old-fashioned. There was a young college student who came in. His name was Rupert Goodman. He was 20 years of age. And about 10 farmers got together and knocked down the weeds, put up a tent. And every night uh, he would preach the gospel, and it was the only thing in the community going on. And so my dad, nine years of age, would go every night. His parents didn't even go, but he would go every night, and he would hear the gospel. Wow. And uh, there was a, a little quartet from Fort Knox, Kentucky. They were a group of soldiers. And one of those soldiers came up to my dad before the service started. He said, young man, do you know Christ? And he said, I don't. He said, well, I'm going to pray for you that tonight you give your life to Christ. And it was that night that my dad, a nine-year-old boy, gave his life to Christ. And that changed uh, sort of the uh, DNA of our whole family. And so when he was 14, he went back to his mom and dad and said, I I feel called to preach. So five years later. Yeah, yeah. He was already being asked in churches to come and preach as as a kid preacher. Now, his sermons were really long. They were like five minutes. <laughs> but he was, he was a bit of a novelty in that community. And yeah. so he was called the boy preacher. Hmm. So he got on it. His mom, he didn't know if his dad would even allow him to do this. But uh, his dad said, uh, I'm going to give you permission. And so he went away. He, he, he got on board a train in Louisville, Kentucky, one little suitcase. 14 years old. 14 years of age. I can't imagine. I have two 14-year-old no. granddaughters. <laughs> so he goes... Uh, all the way to Indianapolis, gets off the train, makes his way to a little town called Frankfort, Indiana. There was a little Bible academy there. And so he starts as a 14-year-old kid in a place he had heard about through somebody. And 14, he started studying the Bible. And so he would go into taverns, he would go into places like jails and everything. He just started sharing his faith. And so when he was just a young kid, uh, he sort of made his mark. When he was in college, there was a couple of businessmen who came to him and said, um, would you like for us to buy you a tent? And they bought him a tent, 500 chairs, and my dad went from town to town when he was just in his early 20s preaching the gospel. That's where I come in. And so for the first uh, seven years of my life, my life was like a gypsy. I didn't know it. I thought everybody lived in a trailer, <laughs> and I thought every every dad uh, got up uh, on a stage under a big tent and preached the gospel, mm. and his health broke. We ended up in Evansville, Indiana, where he pastored for 10 years, and that's where I got saved. Oh, it was wow. in one of my dad's Sunday night church services. I was just a kid. I was How ten, old were you? 10 years old. 10 years old. Felt a call. I felt God called me. I gave my life to Christ. I was in heavy sin when I was only, you know, like eight and nine. But when I was 10, I gave my life to Jesus. And when I was 12, I can still remember this. It was in the church parsonage. I just, I don't know. I just sensed something at him in my heart. I want to be, I want to be a minister like mm. my dad. And there, there was just this feeling that came over me that that's what I wanted to do more wow. than anything else. So that was sort of the beginning of it. I went away to Indiana Wesleyan University where I got my ministry degree. At the same time, I was studying uh, music and some other things. So there's a creative side of me that uh, kind of got mixed in with the preaching side. 
And then uh, after school, well, during school, I pastored in the United Methodist Church for okay. three years in Bluffton, Indiana, near Fort Wayne. So you were in school and also pastoring yeah, at the same time. Yeah, wow. okay. and I was 19 <laughs> when I started pastoring, and I'm going, I'm looking back at that, and I go, those people must have been nuts, Yeah. because 19 years old, running a board, pastoring a church, but that little church, Adam, running about uh, 50, 60 people, people began to get saved. I, I had Sunday school teachers calling me and saying, what do you mean? What do you mean by salvation? Now, that, that, I know it's just like... I, these are people at th- your These church. are key people in my church. So I, I remember I had the, uh, the, the Billy Graham, uh, I think it was, uh, it was something like, uh, it may have been Bill Bright, Four Spiritual Laws. Yeah, yeah, yeah Bill Bright. And I, I put them on poster boards, and, and there was kind of a divided channel at the front of the, the, the Methodist church, and I, I tacked them up there. In, in in the sanctuary. In the sanctuary. You call it a sanctuary. That's in the right. sanctuary. Pattern the whole center. bit. Yeah. Big red hymnals, a yes. little choir. Yep. And I just started going through those laws one by one. We're all sinners. And and I just started yep. preaching that. There there was a, a, a there was an altar there. And I thought, well, I'm gonna start using this. And I started inviting people to come forward. People actually stepped out and started giving their lives to Christ. That little church in three years, uh, well, in the last year of my life there, uh, of, of that uh, particular chapter, there, there were Sundays that we were running 250, 300. That's incredible. Little church grew and it grew. Revival. Yeah, we had a revival. Three young men were called in the ministry that uh, went away, studied for the ministry, went into pastoral ministry. So that's my early life. After school... My dad calls me one day, and uh, he had heard that the Billy Graham organization was courting me. And uh, Billy Graham had just had a crusade down in Indianapolis, Indiana. They brought me in there. I'm just a college kid. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted me to be kind of a youth specialist okay. in, in the Billy Graham organization. Which I, is how Billy Graham started out, right? He started out preaching to youth. Well, Adam, I didn't yeah. know you were alive then. That's yeah. amazing to me. <laughs> hey, I know my church history. <laughs> I'm You're right. Youth for, <laughs> youth for Christ. Youth for Christ. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chicago. So they were bringing you up that same way. Yeah. Dad heard about this. And my stock went sky high. <laughs> he gives me a call and he says, and at the time, he's working with a, a, an ex-Cleveland uh, Browns football player turned evangelist, Bill Glass. Okay. And my dad said, you know, uh, Wes, I, I'm, I'm leaving Bill. I'm going on my own. I'm going to go back to smaller towns. Bill's in larger towns. Billy Graham is in cities. Big, big cities. And so I'm going to take the small towns, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 people. Would you consider coming with me? Well, it was my dad, you know, and I so can't say no to dad. So I remember my wife Claudia and I. We drove down to Kernersville, North Carolina. We had uh, some pretty long meetings, and I said, "Dad, I'd be honored." And honestly, I was so honored. Yeah, had to turn Billy Graham down. I, I never actually <laughs> had a meeting with Billy Graham, but I did with some of his guys. I sure. mean, they, they were really courting me. Yeah, and, and I was honored. I mean, you know, a college kid. Oh yeah, being asked by the Billy Graham people. Yeah, that, that was amazing to that me. Was huge. So for 15 years, Adam, I traveled all over the world, and I was his John the Baptist guy. I was his advance guy, the forerunner. He would get a call or a letter from a ministerial association okay. that would say, would you come to our city, our town, for a interdenominational citywide crusade? They call them crusades instead of yeah, city fest yeah. or whatever that type of thing. So I would go in. Here I am, just 
in my early 20s, I'd sit down with this ministerial association and go through uh, our, our general policies, our financial policy, our counselor training policy, our, fi- our follow-up policy, and I'd always make it clear, my dad will preach the gospel. You say, why would you say that? Because I come to find out that there were pastors who weren't that pro-preach the gospel. And I know it's hard for us to believe, but there were pastors that they just believed they were there as a good social calling. Sure. Yeah. And don't give us more of that uh, sawdust trail type of evangelism. Just preach good stuff and maybe live we'll, a good life. Yeah, have live a good, a good life. You know, Everybody's yeah. going to end up saying part of the American dream, right? Yeah. So I did that for 15 years all over the world, Africa, throughout the Caribbean, uh, many states in the United States. And actually, I loved it except for being apart from my family. But I saw literally thousands, thousands come to know Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. There's nothing more exciting than that, is there? And, no. And, and so 15 years of that, when I was 37... I thought, I can't keep doing this. Right. I got a wife. I got two young boys. And so the hardest thing for me to do is to go in and say, Dad, I feel God is really speaking to me to resign and, and make a change. I didn't know what the change was going to be. So I said to him, I don't know, but yeah. I feel I've got to stop this traveling. I was doing 220, 240 days a year, yeah. 15 years, 15 years. So... Um, my brother said to me, if you could do anything, and he's also a pastor up in Roanoke, Virginia, he said, what would you do? I said, here's what I would do, because I've, I've heard this in town after town. I would build a church for unchurched people. I would build a church for de-churched people. I would build a church that anybody who wanted to give it a try would feel comfortable enough that they, would, they could come. I want to be able to encourage them to dress the way they want to dress. I would encourage them to to tell them the music will probably be a style of music that you'll like. And I just kind of went through that. And, and what year is this? Because oh, now, nowadays people, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's that's church, yeah, right? This, but this we're is, talking... This is 1889. <laughs> Come on. Are you, you're like 19, 19, late, late, late 1980s? 1989. 1989. 1989. 1989. Okay. Wow. So I I had only heard about Saddleback. I'd only heard about Willow Creek. Those were two big mega churches. I only heard a little bit through Christianity Today magazine, but that was about it. But I did read that these churches were trying some different things, like they were using bands. Mm -hmm. Nobody was using bands. Yeah. Rock and roll bands. Yeah. Drama? You mean you could have drama in a church? And then some, some other kind of crazy ideas? So, so these appealed, I mean, the, the, it, it, what I hear at this <laughs> point in the story is the, the absolute coming together, the fusion of two parts of who you are. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 abs, the, the evangelist, right? Oh, yeah. And the, um, and the, the creative, creative person. Yeah. The creative person. And, and more than actually probably three things, because there's also, what I also heard in your story is this, you're, this, you're an organizer, too. I mean, you you had to. It's one thing to say I want to have a festival or a crusade. It's another thing to actually pull it off. You got to pull people together. You got to be able to organize. You you got to be able to. Put, and so you had this unique blend of a evangelistic fervor, passion, a creative side that mm-hmm. loves uh, creative presentation, mm-hmm. but then also you had the ability to to. 
pull people together and actually administrate this thing, it sounds like. The training I received from the Billy Graham people, the training I received from Bill Glass, from my dad, uh, I, I cannot I cannot compare it with any any other formal education that I received, even sure. though I appreciated it hands-on experiencing some of the things that I did. I, I actually helped in some of the Billy Graham Crusades, and so they taught me really quick the, the power of people involvement, yep. explaining what their job role would be, then accountability, follow-up. I learned all of that at a very young age. And so Adam. many pastors, they go to seminary, they, they learn how to do theology, but they don't know the first thing about necessarily about running an organization. The Billy Graham people, and I learned this, uh, f- of course, through my dad, there's a thing called build the crowd, build in the crowd. And at first, I didn't know what that meant. But uh, the Billy Graham people taught this so well, and I'm sure Billy Graham learned it along the way working for Youth for Christ. They, they knew, they knew if they had X number of counselors, these were people who learn how to share their faith. In our case, we'd yep. teach them the Roman road, sure, Romans 3.23, that, that particular methodology. They can multiply the number of counselors times the number of choir members times the number of greeters and ushers times the numbers of churches that are involved and almost knew, and, and knew what their crowd would be. We, we, we had it down to almost a science. Now, I don't like for that to sound like, boy, that, that sounds really, uh, you know, cold. But I, no, It's principles. It's, 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 it's people it's principles. It's definite principles, yeah. and I've tried to build our, our church, Daybreak, the same way. That's Get X numbers of people greeting X numbers of people, because you know why? You know why that principle works? One, you're going to have those people there. Yeah. They own they own stock. Yeah. When you own stock and it's doing well, what do you what do you what do you do? You tell your friends. You tell your friends. <laughs> so they're telling their neighbors, they're telling their family members. Those people generally and this is interesting, a counselor is good for two people. A choir member is good for one. Yeah. There there are some equations here. Okay. I don't know if the singing part has something to do with it. I don't know. But that counselor has a spiritual infusion there for, uh, we would teach them for five weeks. They would have a spiritual infusion of teaching them what it means to lead somebody else to Christ. We would teach them how to pray if they didn't know how to pray, how to lead somebody to Christ. Well, that person's going to invite their neighbors. Yeah. They're going to be passionate about it. So you had the, you had this incredible experience of uh, this background working with your dad, uh, working with Billy Graham Association, doing these different things. You, you, your brother says, if you could do anything, what would it be? It's, you have this dream for a certain yeah. kind of church. Yeah. And realistically, you look around, and there aren't a lot of churches doing that. Not, not in 89. Not in weren't. 89. So tell me. What what was the result? <laughs> what 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 did you do? What was the next step for you and Claudia? Well, well the next step was uh, we di- we didn't know where to go, and uh, one of my dad's uh, uh, musical team members lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, okay. and attended a church and and helped at a church called Kentwood Community Church. Yeah, this is 1989. He had been there from almost the beginning. He and his wife okay. uh, had been there as members, and he had also helped part-time. And they saw this little church that a Youth for Christ guy started by the name of Dick Wynn, <laughs> and then passed it on to another guy called Wayne Schmidt, yes. who now heads up a whole denomination called the Wesleyan Church. And so that little church grew up to where it's at today, Kentwood Community Church. And anybody from the, the Michigan area would know church, that yeah. would know those churches. So 
I, I didn't know where to start. I'd never been in West Michigan. So I called my buddy, Marv Hollenbeck, who was with Youth for Christ. And I said, Marv, is it true you guys are thinking about starting another church? This is kind of new vernacular. Yeah. Church planting? Church planting? <laughs> What's that mean? So he said, well, I don't know much about it, but let me get uh, the senior pastor on, on, on the telephone. His name is Wayne Schmidt. And so first time I met Wayne was over the phone. He said, yeah. And I've reminded Wayne of this. And here's what Wayne said, like right off the bat. He said, if you've got a big ego, this is not for you. Mm. I don't know why he said that. But I think he thought, you know, you've been in stadiums. You've been out there in a lot of lights. I didn't tell him all the bad times. Yeah. But I think he was warning me, if you think this is going to be something huge and big off the bat, forget it. It won't happen that way. And I said, okay. If you're looking for a platform for your yeah, for your, for it's your not going to happen that way. It's not uh, church planning is not yeah. for you. No. So Claudia and I uh, said we need a fleece. We had just built the dream of our uh, uh, a dream house, and we said, man, this is 1989. Real estate had gone flat. We need to sell this piece of property. We put a sign in the front yard, and in one week, one week, eight miles out in the country, Winston-Salem, Greensboro, High Point, out in the country, that house sold. Oh, wow. So we knew we knew something was happening. We sold everything else we had but our two dogs, a car, my grand piano, and a couple of other pieces of furniture, and we moved to a little town called Jenison, Michigan. We had never been in. We didn't know anybody, did not know anybody, Adam. So I thought, I don't know where to start. So I went to the post office, and I remember going in there and just saying, I'm Wes Dupin, and I need a post office box. And I struck up a friendship with that, with that gentleman, and that was my first guy that I met. The next guy I met was the superintendent of schools, Jenison Schools, David Dressler. And I said, David, I need a I need a, a building for a church. And he goes, what? And so we got a little elementary school, and uh, we started eight weeks later. Nowadays, you talk about a year. Oh we started gosh. eight Sundays later, and that Sunday <laughs> on October the 8th, 1989. You mean you didn't have a launch, you didn't have a launch team either? Nobody told us. <laughs> there were no schools. It was the two of you. There was no schools for this. Now my son, he goes through yeah. all this stuff. Oh, yeah. What? So tell me, what was the launch date again? October the 8th, 1989, 327 people showed up, and we had 75 to 100 chairs set up in a little elementary school. They were standing all the way around the room, and I'm going uh, to my wife, Claudia, there must be something here. There God's must... doing something. And in West Michigan, there's churches everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Well, that's the, that's the joke I was going to say. Is It's not like, God, uh, where do you want me to plant a church? You know, send me someplace where the gospel's never been heard. You know, West Michigan, it's like, I, I think there's a church for every 10 people. At least it feels that way sometimes. But yet, there was such, it, first of all, that's, it's not true. There are a lot of unchurched people. And second of all, there aren't a lot of churches like Daybreak in, the, mm. in that area. What has been... Um, and I wish we had a lot more time to, to talk. What, when, when you look at the hallmark of what has made Daybreak Daybreak when it comes to communicating the gospel, how in your story have you seen God wed together your passion for creativity with your, your love for seeing lost people meet Jesus? Well, you've identified it right there. there those are the two components right there, is, is a core belief that everybody needs Jesus. I don't care how religious you may act or seem or whatever. Everybody needs Jesus. And so that's number one. Number two, we decided we were going to make our message attractive by using creativity. 
And so our mantra, so to speak, is attract, grow, and serve. How do you, how do you handle... <laughs> I, I'm guessing that there's no, there's no way you come into a place that is highly churched, you do the, what you're talking about doing, and not face the criticism of... Uh, uh, okay, well, it must be because you you don't really you want to short you want to shortchange the gospel. You don't want to really preach the truth. Um, how do you how, how you face that? I'm sure. And how do you how do you help people those who want to see? How do you help people see the truth about what what's really going on when you choose to do church that way? Well, we've been identified as the entertainment church. In fact, Peter Jennings, uh, ABC News, came in and did a special on Daybreak. He said, if you, if you think Willow Creek is out there, you ought to see their child <laughs> or their twisted child, whatever. Twisted it's called sister. Daybreak, and it's in West Michigan among all these other churches. But we decided that if we were going to get the message out, we had to be extremely creative because there's a lot of messages. So we took a very creative approach. And I'm not saying that we're necessarily unique. A lot of churches have great bands. Uh, but still to this day, we probably will start off with a non-Christian song. Yep. We immediately want to go after that guy uh, who's 35 to 40, who has not been in church, or it's been years he's been in church. We want to lure his defenses. And so he's going, that's one of my favorite songs. I, I, I love that song, ACDC or whatever, you know. I mean, I don't want to get too heavy here, but I'm taking my band, for example, next week. We're going to go hear Alice Cooper, and he's an old guy, but he's, yeah. he's come to know Jesus. Yeah. And uh, we, we can't wait. I'm trying to get a, an audience with him. But I'm just saying to you, we will do anything. We're taking Halloween week, and we're turning it into something big. It's going to call, be called Hogwarts Sunday. And we're encouraging everybody <laughs> to come fully dressed, including myself. Our stage. Are you coming as Dumbledore? Do you even know who Dumbledore is? I'm, I'm just now learning. I just bought the seven books. <laughs> I just he hasn't bought... read the books yet. Oh my goodness. My I, I, kids love got, those books. I got a lot. I got a lot to read here. I know they cost a lot. <laughs> yeah, I said Dumbledore. Your, I'm just, your eyes just went blank. I'm I just. Realized. I know I'm making that lady a lot richer. I do. I do know that. But for example, that that's not for Christians, right? Now they're welcome. Yeah. But we're going after the community, and particularly after a young community that love love this kind of thing, and so. Uh, our stage will just be fully outfitted like you can't believe. Uh, we have a 40 by 20 LED wall that just will blow you away. Yeah. There are people that walk away from our church when they see that wall, and yeah. they, they get the feel that we're an entertainment church. But it always comes down, Adam, to the last five minutes, the last five minutes calling people to Jesus. If you want to have a relationship with him and you want to see your life change and you want to see your family change, if you want to, if you want to get delivered from drugs and, and alcoholism, Jesus can help you. Yeah. He can change your life. We use all this other stuff as front. It's cover. All we're doing is trying to attract an audience and then blast them, so to speak, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do. Last year, we saw 450 people in that little community make some kind of a decision for Christ. A week ago, a week ago, 10 kids in our junior high ministry gave their lives to Christ. 20 more kids rededicated their lives to Christ. We have, we have numerous college students that are leaving there, going all over the country, starting new churches. Beautiful. And we don't even have a plan. 
and it's happening. <laughs> I don't know, Adam. That, Sounds I, like I, someone has a plan. We get excited about that. that, is, that well, you better be excited about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm glad I'm just, you know, 25. <laughs> so you started at 89. You're, uh, I'm trying to do the math on that. Oh, no. and I worked for my dad 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm yeah, you sure figured it out. Like, well, brother, I... Uh, I'm sure that some heads, some some people, their heads explode when they hear they hear uh, a creative different Hogwarts, you know, stuff like that. But you uh, know, it, uh, we did rent the Van Andel Arena one one millennial New Year's <laughs> Eve. We thought we we're going to lose our shirt on this, but we wanted to have a family friendly party, twelve thousand seats, and we spent a lot of money, yeah, almost a million dollars, wow, for two and a half hours to entertain people. It wasn't a gospel fest. It was a fun family fest. And it was unbelievable. 700 in the cast. And it, we had the greatest time that night. That, that made news all over the country. We were one of the first churches that started the Super Bowl parties and, and got it on television and all of the rest. And you, you just got to think out of the box. How are we going to reach people for Christ? How are we going to open the hearts? How are we going to build bridges? With people who don't want to have anything, you to can't do with be the hitting them with the Bible. Uh, uh, what was it, D. James Kennedy? Uh, people were asking him questions about evangelism explosion and how he did what he did. And he said, "I think he said, was it? Uh, I like my way of sharing the gospel better than your way of not sharing the gospel.' Mm-hmm. Well, I like the word explosion. Yeah, obviously. Well, brother, I'm going to keep praying for the Thank spirit you, Adam. to Thank be you. explosive through your ministry. Thank you for taking time to talk with us. Thank you. And share your story. God bless. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. You can learn more about Wes on his church website, daybreak.tv, daybreak.tv. If you're interested in a little bit of church history and revival, I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of Wes's book, Almost Chosen. This book tells the story of America's religious history and how the church in many ways lost its passion for evangelism. The book is great, and it's going to engage you in powerful ways by taking you back into history. As you read it, your passion for evangelism is going to be renewed. You can pick up a copy of Almost Chosen at your favorite online bookseller. Thanks again for being on the program, Wes. Okay, one more thing. Big news. Next episode, coming on December 19, you're going to get a chance to hear from Lee Strobel. Lee is the author of The Case for Christ, along with a lot of other books. He's an incredible leader of evangelism in the church around the world. You don't want to miss this one. Help us get the word out by joining the Organic Outreach Media Squad. Simply send an email to info at organicoutreach.org. That's info at organicoutreach.org. Let us know you want to join the team. We'll send you our soon-to-be-finished Media Squad mug, and you're going to love it. I promise. All right? For now, this is Adam Barr reminding you, make time to share God's life today.